This is The Space Shot, episode 310 for March 20th, 2018. The Centennial Series, episode 1, Red Canyon, my conversation with Barry Hamilton. I'm John Molnix. First off, a quick update on my recording location for today. I apologize for any background audio or kids screaming. I'm hanging out at the Denver Museum of Nature and Science, and I've got a great view of the snow-covered Rocky Mountains and downtown Denver. This room just isn't the best for audio. Yesterday, I was at the state capitol in Colorado for Aerospace Day, and it was wonderful meeting and speaking with so many people in the space community. Sadly, it was too loud, and there were too many echoes to get good audio at the event, so I'm not going to share any of that audio here. Instead, I've got part one of my wide-ranging conversation with Barry Hamilton, CEO of Red Canyon Engineering and Software. We talked about aerospace, women in STEM, Colorado, the origin of his company, entrepreneurship, and more. Be sure to come back tomorrow for the second part of our conversation. You don't want to miss it. Now, let's get to that conversation. Today I'm talking with Barry Hamilton, CEO of Red Canyon Engineering and Software. Welcome to the podcast. Morning, John. Thanks for having me. So this is the first of the, what I'm going to be calling the Centennial Series of Episodes, since Colorado's the Centennial State. We're going to be talking with people in the aerospace industry in Colorado, students, teachers, luminaries in the industry. So thank you for being first. You're welcome. So talk to me about the origins of Red Canyon. Why Colorado and why aerospace? Well, let's start with the name. Uh, So Red Canyon comes from uh, the Red Canyon that we spun the company out of, which was Lockheed Martin Waterton Canyon, right down uh, the street from Red Rocks Amphitheater. And so uh, kind of that hogback, we called it the Red Canyon. And then also we were working on the Mars missions. So the Mars 98 missions, which both crashed, we can go into that later. Uh, the Mars 01 missions, which were going to the Red Canyons on Mars. And so that's uh, that's how uh, I came up with the name. That's a pretty cool, you know, between Red Rocks and Mars, those are two pretty stunning geologic features. So it's yeah. a great, great way to name it. Right. So you, you had mentioned earlier when we were talking, you're a Colorado native. Correct. Talk a little bit about your backstory. How did you get into aerospace? You know, especially for the students. We have a lot of students that listen to the podcast. Mm-hmm. How did you get to where you are now? Talk a little bit about your journey. Sure. So, uh I grew up in Colorado Springs uh, on the east side, uh, grew up, came from humble beginnings. Uh, I remember for the first six years of my life, uh, we lived in a trailer park. My parents had me when they were very young. My mom, in fact, was 17 uh, when she had me. And so I watched my parents, you know, working hard. My, my father was a teacher, high school teacher. My mom was working as a waitress, working her way through uh, college at uh, UC Colorado Springs. Uh, and then she eventually, you know, uh, became an engineer at Hewlett Packard. And I kind of watched her um, rise through the ranks as a woman, which was fantastic. That's why I'm uh, very uh, proactive on women in engineering and getting more women in engineering um, and all diversity uh, into engineering. It's good to have all those different viewpoints. Uh, but my mom, being 
you know, a geek and an engineer <laughs> would always have the Apollo missions on. So I was born in 67, so I don't exactly remember the first mission in 69, but I'm sure it was on. I'm sure I was running around the trailer, you know, uh, like a little Indian. And, um, and then I remember, you know, as I think the final mission was in what 72 or 73, you know, I remember those vividly in us and we had moved into a new house at that, that final mission. And we got a, a big new fuzzy black and white TV. <laughs> and, uh, and ever since then I've wanted to, I wanted to be an astronaut. Um, and so that was my goal. Uh, so I, uh, was accepted into both the Naval and Air Force Academies. I played football in high school at Mitchell High School. And my goal and the reason I went to the Air Force was to become a pilot, hopefully fighter, and then get enough hours then to be a, a, a mission or a, a pilot for um, the shuttle. And that didn't turn out. Um, and that's when I hit some diversity. Um, and so uh, got a little got a little rough while I was at the Air Force Academy. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, you took that adversity and put it to you, to your benefit, I think, your longer term. How, how did it, you know, how did you get through those school years then? I mean, because there's a lot of students that, around the country that, you know, if they're going to school and they're not certain about something or if they might have a rough patch when they're going through, you know, freshman year, sophomore year. How did, how did you deal with that? I mean... It was so tough. And so the reason I ended up in Colorado Springs is my grandfather uh, was um, at Fort Carson and uh, he fell in love with Colorado Springs when he was stationed there. So that's how my mom's side of the family ended up there. And so um, I knew if I left the Air Force Academy would disappoint him. It would disappoint my parents. But since my whole family was in Colorado Springs, I had that infrastructure while I was there for my first two years. That helped me get through yeah. it. Like, I remember at six months, I told my dad, I was like, I, I don't know if I can, you know, get through this. I don't know if I'm cut out for this. Obviously, I wasn't. But uh, he's like, well, I think you should give, you know, your first year a chance. And then yeah. once I got through my first year, I was like, well, I might as well go at least one more year and get everything paid off. Because, you know, I had my computer. We were the first class to get computers, like 286 <laughs> PCs oh, man. Uh, were issued to us. And, and so we had to pay for that. They paid us to go there, but we had to, through our, our monthly checks, we had to pay for um, all of our uh, uniforms and supplies and materials. So I decided to stay one more year. I see. I injured my my uh, left knee. I had an ACL tear, and so uh, that was during freshman ball. And so I had my surgery in I think January, February of my freshman year. So that was that added to yeah. the adversity that I had, and and so I found that I was not pilot qualified due to some eye issues while I was there. Okay. And so kind of my long-term and short-term goals, playing football, going on the path to being an astronaut and a pilot were just not working out for me. Um, so that's, uh, that's when I decided to take what's called stop out where you can leave for a year, you go into the reserves and you can basically kind of do what you want. A lot of guys would take military planes and travel all over the world. Um, I decided to go to see you, see what regular college life was like. Yeah. Um, enrolled in, you know, the aerospace engineering degree and, and give that a shot. So, I mean, see you 
for everybody that is, isn't lives in Colorado, we know that CU is a big aerospace school. Absolutely. And even around the country. Um, talk to me a little bit about, about your experience there when you were a student. Well, so I was taking 22 semester credit hours at the Air Force Academy, okay. playing football, um, doing the military thing, getting yelled at. And <laughs> when I went to CU, I was taking, I think, between 15 and 18 so I felt like I just freed up about 40 hours a week. Probably. And I wasn't sure what to do with it. So one thing I was able to do was study a little bit more. Um, and so it just seemed easy to me. Um, and not that the CU program is easy, because it's not the, the aerospace program, but uh, it was just easier for me. And, and I got in some study groups uh, you know, in the engineering department, which was great. So I was building camaraderie. And I just, I felt free uh, and uh, it was just the, it was the right choice for me. And I knew that after a year when the letter came back from the Air Force on, you know, coming back, I, it was the hardest decision I ever had to make. Um, and uh, I, I chose not to go back and I still have dreams about going back to the Air Force Academy. I'm like, I made a mistake. I need to come back. I have well, I have my old uniforms and I'm wearing them in. I'm sneaking in. It's it's, it's bizarre. <laughs> well, you know, CU, where did you where did you go from there then? I mean it's it wasn't all over at CU, obviously. So internship programs, like what what yeah. opportunities did you have there? So um, you know, I had to work my way through school. Um, and uh, I applied at the Center of Astrophysics and Space Astronomy for an undergrad research position. And uh, just great experience. I think I was making $8.15 an hour, you know. But hey, it was, that was good rent money and beer money. Uh, exactly. so, uh, so, and I was learning so much. Uh, Dr. Gita Domic, uh was um, my professor, and she was great. And she said we would have like weekly lunches. She's like, bring your lunch in. We're going to, you know, just go out into the terrazzo and, and, you know, have lunch and talk. And, and she eventually she got me into some grad um, image processing. Um, uh, and that's kind of where I also started my passion for programming because I was doing these uh, what's called Fourier transformations of new stars. So it's getting this astronomical astronomical data of uh, brand new stars and then uh, doing these mathematical manipulations on them to determine the characteristics of them. Um, so it sounds like a pretty cool grad student yeah. experience or just even undergrad experience. Yeah, That's, it was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and then so my parents at this point were in um, Palo Alto and uh, I wanted to go out. So one summer I was a Pepsi truck driver. And then one summer I got an internship with Ford Aerospace, which is now Laurel uh, okay. Aerospace. Um, and then that's kind of why I uh, eventually went after I graduated out uh, to Lockheed Missiles in Space in Sunnyvale. So your experience there, I mean, with, with a bigger company like Lockheed, how did that inform what you're doing now with the small business? Or small business, I say that with air quotes for right. everybody that's listening. Well, it is a, it's a small business, probably not a micro business, but definitely small. Um, so, you know what I learned at Lockheed is um, they have uh, amazing people. They have these huge programs and they have this level of hierarchy of, you know, management, you know. And, and obviously, as a young engineer, I'm kind of focused on technical and solving problems. Um, and 
I learned that I probably was not going to be able to be successful kind of rising through those ranks. Um, you know, there's a lot of not only technical stuff, but political and, you know, jockeying for those positions. And I kind of just wanted to solve technical problems and, and have the best, most efficient solution to whatever it is, whether it's a launch vehicle, getting us to Mars with a, with a robotic spacecraft. And so, although I, I cherish my time at Lockheed, both as an employee, as a consultant prior to Red Canyon, and uh, you know, as a principal of Red Canyon, I just knew that that's not how, I, how I, my, my makeup uh, was gonna be successful in the industry. Well, that kind of ties into your experience as an entrepreneur now too. Right. I mean, you have a lot of, I don't want to call them side hustles because they're all big, <laughs> big things, but. Well, not hustles. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that, that's kind of the thing where you, you're almost stifled in a, you know, in certain, certain circumstances. So you really took what you knew, what you knew you wanted to do, what your skill set was, and you translated that into Red Canyon. Right. So what, talk about some of your first projects then for Red Canyon. Because there's been a couple, I mean, big ones over the years. If you could just go over those. Yeah. Um, well, you know, just a little bit about the entrepreneurship thing. So I had my own lawn mowing business in high school. And uh, I would borrow my dad's truck for free. So my operating costs were pretty low. <laughs> nice. uh, and I borrowed his lawnmower. So my, you know, my capital costs were pretty low. Um, but, you know, I'd go out and uh, I had, you know, bowling alleys and, and, you know, single family residences. And, you know, I was making probably $25 an hour tax free. So that was pretty good. <laughs> Not bad. For, yeah. <laughs> So I really, I really enjoyed that. I had that work ethic to go do that on my own to, to kind of build my client base. And um, when I moved, I, I wanted to buy a house out in Silicon Valley when I was working for Lockheed, you know, but on my, I think I was making around, I started at 26,000 a year and then I was up to 30, I think by the time I was about to leave. Um, I couldn't afford a house out there, but when I got back here and I had changed positions to a company called, um, uh, advanced systems engineering, which is kind of like a Red Canyon. Um, uh, I was like, oh, cool, I can go buy something. So um, that's that's when I bought my first fourplex in 1986. Okay. And so I lived in one and I rented out the other three to buddies of mine. And uh, that was kind of the start of um, my, my real estate portfolio when I would do that on the weekend. So I was at Hughes at the time working on classified programs um, and I was down uh, you know I was in Offutt at Offutt Air Force Base for a while I was at Schriever Air Force Base for a while and then I was out across from Buckley for a while and uh, you know on the weekends I would pick up a hammer and a paintbrush and I used to change out the water heaters and and so I did everything myself and so that was actually kind of my um, my first entrepreneurial venture. Well, you, you got a taste for it there and that really translates into anything once you start doing you know the work for yourself no matter what it is you realize there's a lot you can yeah do, you're so. looking at profit and loss yeah. and capital costs and operating expenditures and time um allocation a scheduling uh budget so um so yeah so kind of moving forward it was 1999 and my company, ASE, Advanced Systems Engineering, got bought by a company called Cyber, C-I-B-E-R. And they were doing this big roll-up of all these little 
aerospace engineering firms to try to create a, a big aerospace company, you know, not as big as Lockheed, but pretty big. Mm -hmm. um, and I think at the time ASE had 280 employees. I was like their 34th employee and now they were at 280. And so uh, Bob Holmes was the principal, he, he sold that. But Lockheed could not continue the contract with cyber that I was on. And I think I was the only employee over at um, Lockheed Martin at the time. This was at the time I was working on the entry, descending and entry, descent and landing software for Mars 98. And so uh, my boss, uh, Rick Kasuda, um, came to me and he's like, I don't think you're going to, you know, and, you know, we were good friends and, uh, you know, gone on camping trips together. And um, so we knew each other fairly well. And so he knew that I probably wasn't interested in going direct and being an employee again with Lockheed, uh, just some, cause of some of the things I had mentioned before. Yeah. So he was the person that gave me the opportunity to start my own company. And that one was called priority data systems. That was in 1999. So it was just me. I was just like a consultant, uh, still working on, uh, the Mars missions at that time. Um, we were working on, uh, um, Stardust, which we launched in 98. We yeah. were working on um, um, Mars 01 uh, Odyssey is what that one's called. That mm -hmm. one's still that one's still going. Um, and then uh, oh, the, the one that uh, went to the sun and then brought the solar particles back and it crashed in the desert. Um, the name will come to me. Um, trying to think of that one. But uh, so I was working on that and then in 2000, uh, Rick again um, came to me and uh, he, he uh, had two other folks that I knew very well, Michelle Miller uh, and Steve Carmer, and he wanted us to kind of all come together. So that's, we all three came together at that time to start Red Canyon Software. And so, um, and so that's still, we're working Mars 01, uh, we're working, um, uh, Stardust. We were still working Mars 01 Lander, but uh, that one eventually got scrapped um, by NASA because of the crashes that we had uh, on Mars 98. And um, so um, that's when we, uh, we stopped that program. But that eventually became Mars Phoenix, which then launched in um, 2006. And that was not a good time for Mars missions. Oh yeah, so that was you know that story. That's a lessons learned story. So I when we were approaching um, Mars uh, nine, for Mars ninety eight, the lander, I was working with the all the JPL PhDs, aerodynamicists, uh, running Monte Carlo simulations in our STL software test lab. I was literally sleeping in there because. You know, we were running these sims and I wanted to be, you know, watching them and understanding what was going on. And then I'd hop on the phone and go over the results with them to make sure that we were coming in uh, where we wanted to, right angle of attack, uh, right uh, area for where we wanted to land. And then it landed and then we heard crickets, silence. And I remember Steve Jolly uh who's um, still a good friend. He's a uh, chief engineer over there at Lockheed now. Um, you know, he's like, we haven't heard anything back. Uh, we're still trying. Um, and uh, it was just agonizing, not hearing anything from either either satellite back then. 
but we learned so much, um, you know, from, from um, that that failure. Um, learning how to test better, how to communicate better, better systems engineering. You know, a, a failure like that, although um, there was some software issues, is really a, a programmatic, you know, failure. And uh, and since then, every single mission has been successful. Knock on wood. <laughs> Well, I mean, the entry descent, the EDL phase of any mission is always a nail biter. So I, I couldn't even imagine what it would be like to expect to hear something and then not have anything. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. It was tough. And Genesis is the one I was thinking about that okay. uh, brought the solar particles back. And speaking of another failure. So when that came in, it came in on a parachute and we were supposed to use a helicopter with a hook to grab it and it missed <laughs> and uh, it ended up in pieces on the uh, Utah desert floor, but they were able to extract a, a, a vast amount of great science from it still. So that's good. credit to the, to the scientists for being able to do that. Resurrecting yeah. things from the crash. That, hey, that's, that's, always that's where the scientists are helping the engineers out, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and check back tomorrow so you can hear the second part of today's episode. I had a great time interviewing Barry, and I'm looking forward to sharing part two tomorrow. I'd be incredibly grateful if you could share the podcast with your friends and family. Tag one of them and let them know about your favorite episode. I'd also appreciate it if you could venture into the Apple Podcasts app or your podcast app of choice and leave a review for The Space Shot. A steady stream of reviews helps ensure that the space shot is more visible in the Apple Podcasts app. As always, the show notes have more information on today's episode. You can hit me up on Instagram and Twitter. Find me at John Molnix. I'm always up to chat. You can also connect with me on Facebook. Just search the space shot or click the link in the show notes and you'll find me. I'm John Molnix and I'll catch you on the flip side.